Hello, dear friends, and welcome to the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor Kay. And today we have with us the living legend, A.B. Rottenberg is a prolific Orthodox Jewish musician, composer, and singer. He's been producing music since the mid-1970s. He's one of the greats. I mean, I grew up listening to his hits, and in this episode, we discuss his personal journey with music, creative process, what it was like to play with Reb Shlomo Karbach live, and a whole lot more. And recently, I just came off the set of Journey at Sea, the hit song from his latest album, Journeys 5, with Lev Tahar. Um, I was able to produce and direct that, bring that story to life. And it was such an honor and a privilege to do so. Really great to know, A.B., uh, through that experience and this podcast. I really hope you enjoy this podcast with the one and only A.B. Rottenberg. Today's guest, we have the legend, singer, songwriter, A.B. Rottenberg. A.B., it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being here. It's nice to be here with you, Mayor. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's um, it's been a long time coming, and it's uh, I'm so fortunate because I, I grew up with some of your music, and uh, to be able to be part of a production, more recently, we just did Journey at Sea. I came on as producer, director, co-producer with uh, and director with Ellie Schwabel, and to uh, bring one of your songs to life, a classic, now a hit on your latest journey five was just like really amazing to like for life to be able to like gift me that way, to be able to bring your vision to life. And I don't know what, what the way you, when you wrote it, did you sort of envision it the way it came out now? Okay. First of all, journey at sea was written by my son, Hanania, Hanania. He is my middle, my middle son. We have three boys and three girls and, uh, and thankfully, he's a very talented young man. He wrote Journey at Sea, as well as a song called uh, My Little Town, a song about the Holocaust, a very powerful song. And um, it was my children. I have a younger daughter as well, very talented, and an older, uh, my, my oldest daughter, also talented. There are five songs on the album for my kids. But I did help him. I massaged it with him, worked with him on, on some of the, the lyrics and the words. But the tune is all his. And I'd say 90% of the words are his. So let's give him credit for that song. But yeah, I mean, I, I was the producer. We put it together, the music and the arrangements. And and um, it's just a wonderful song. It was a pleasure working with you, Mayor, seeing you with your smile and your energy and your the bounce in your step <laughs> across the deck. And uh, and it was, it was just a pleasure. And I hope that people watch the song and understand its message and talk about its message and, and, uh, and uh, get inspired from it. A hundred percent. I mean, perhaps inspiration, you know, the bounce and the smile, uh, there may be an inspiration for a song. I mean, if it was, you know, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I won't complain if there was, but, uh, <laughs> but I, thanks for, yeah, definitely. I met Hanania and he as uh, a gem, a gem of a soul. And uh, it was really great to see him. And obviously talents come from, you know, not too far from the tree. So that's really cool that you were able to like have that experience together as father and son. That was great. Yes, absolutely. Growing up, did you find support the way you give to your children, the creative outlets? Did you have that for yourself? Wow. Well, I grew up in a really a different, a different time, <laughs> a different time zone, a different, a different age. Life was so, so different than it is today for, you know, kids growing up. And Jewish music has changed so much. I mean, Jewish music is everywhere today. And it's, 
and, and you could have it on your phone and in your car and you walk into the house, it goes on automatically as soon as you step through the door. I mean, you know, when I started out, uh, my father used to sing, you know, Nagunim around the Shabbos table that he heard from his father. And uh, in shul, they would sing for Lechadoidi. And yeah, there was Kalbach. There was a Kalbach album once a year. And there was a, uh, maybe a Hasidish album that came out once every year. But, but music was growing very, very slowly in those days. And uh, we had a, the Pirche album. So there, there were some kids in New York singing in a choir and everybody else was jealous of them, you know. Right. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, as, I, as I grew older and I discovered I had some talent and I met some people, I was very fortunate to meet uh, Baruch Chait and Ailey Teitelbaum. And these are these are these were great um, pioneers in Jewish music from those days. And um, I threw my hat into the ring in the early 70s. And we started with the Dvekas albums. Right. And those Dvekas albums were very popular. And we kept on producing every few years another one. And... Um, it was only when I was in my 30s that I started writing songs in English. I started writing in uh, 19, 1984 was the first time I wrote a song in English. I was already 32 years old. I was married. I had children. And um, I started to feel a need for it because uh, we would try to sing. I, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. We tried to do outreach uh, with, with children. And some of them didn't connect to the Kalbach songs or the Hebrew songs because they didn't understand the words. Mm-hmm. So I started to to think about writing in English, and the first song I ever wrote was "It's Time to Say Good Shabbos." Right. So, um, and f- from there on, every several years, we were able to come out with a Journeys album. The latest one is uh, eighteen years since the last one. So wow, I'm getting on in years. I'm an old man, and I wanted to get it in under the wire. But I still hope maybe there's more in the. Maybe God has more. Uh, in the tank. Yeah, I, hope, I sure more. hope so. I mean, talking That's on behalf it. of a whole bunch of people, uh, I sure hope so. Thank you. So going back to that, could you just paint me that scene? I mean, there you are, you're, you're a young man. The world of Jewish music is still very small and obviously not as large and and the way music was shared around back then. Like, tell me, like, what kind of, like, where did you want to be when you grew up? Did you always want to be a singer or a songwriter? And um, I know you mentioned some some gentlemen who helped you break into that, mm-hmm. but how did you get the confidence and what were you doing at the time to say, you know, I'm going to step away from this and, and spend more time in music? Okay, so, so very, very good questions. Um, so when I was 17 years old, I, I, at that time, I did not play an instrument. Um, I could sing. I could harmonize. I had an ear for music. But I went to a camp in Israel, and in that camp, there was, as I mentioned, Eli Teitelbaum, he was the director of the camp. Then there was Baruch Che, who was the, he originated the Rabbi's Sons. He was a guitarist. There were three or four other guys in camp who were wonderful guitarists. Um, and I think I was the only counselor who was like a complete Ama Aritz. I was completely ignorant. I couldn't do the thing. <laughs> And I walked away from that summer with such a passion and a drive to be like those guys. Wow. So, you know, as, as with most things, you know, there's some, some kind of a base and, and, you know, primal, primal reason why people do things. And I pushed myself very hard that year to learn how to play guitar. I started working on playing keyboard, piano, and I found that I had, uh, I had some, some uh, ability and I sang songs that I wrote to people and they seemed to enjoy them. 
And then in yeshiva, I bumped into a fellow by the name of Label Sharpen, Rabbi Label Sharpen today. He runs a seminary in Israel, been doing so for the past 40 plus years. And he was a member of the Rabbi Sons and we became friendly. So we said, let's do an album together. So that was the how Deveka started. And once Deveka started and was, and like I said, in those days, it wasn't like you were competing with, you know, dozens and dozens of other artists. We had a pretty, once we were able to put together funding, come out with an album, uh, the audience was starving for music. Yeah. It was still on vinyl in those days. It was even pre-cassette. I was going to ask you, what? yeah, how did people listen to music back then? It was, it was um, still vinyl. It was still vinyl. And then several years later, they came out with the cassette. The cassette was invented. And within a few years, everything shifted to cassette. Do you have any of those original vinyls? I do. Ooh, <laughs> Avi. <laughs> I'm just saying, my birthday's coming up. You know? Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the last album we put out with vinyl was uh, was Journeys One. So I still have a bunch of those. The Journeys One with uh, it has the story of the Sefer Torah from Kiev that was hidden during the war and came to America, mm. was put into a case of a museum, and yeah. so that 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 album has um, I have some copies of vinyl, but all the rest came out on CD and and today you know even CDs some artists are not. You know, uh, no, it's Spotify, it's streaming, it's streaming, right. it's streaming, it's streaming. streaming or data sticks or something like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, seeing so when how did the word get out when you put out new music back then? You know, now, of course, you put a post on Instagram, you post about it on the Jewish websites, magazines. What was going on there? How was marketing taking took place? So we used to advertise in the Jewish press. That was basically the only, uh, the only. Uh, they had all the eyeballs. There were no magazines, really. We, we, the Jewish Observer, let's say, came out once a month, but that was a much more intellectual paper. It was much less, uh, uh, you know, today the, the magazines are all very commercial. It takes you about 100 pages till you get to content, right? Yeah, exactly. Everything, now it's just advertisers with some content. You with know? some content. So it was a Jewish press. There was a, a radio station in New York called WEVD. Art Raymond had the Simcha Hour, and he would play. He would play songs and music, uh-huh. and then word of mouth, mostly word of mouth. Label Sharfman and I went out the night before, or the day before, we released uh, the first Vegas album. We were hanging up posters on on telephone poles in Borough Park. I remember, wow. you know, the two of us were going around to try to get the name out, and we had quotations from Yisrael Lamb and Rabbi. Uh, Rabbi Riskin and Yigal Salik were all, you know, had listened to the album and gave us nice quotations. So we hung up these posters. I have one of those posters left also. So. Wow. Maybe yeah. these are all memorabilia. Yes, absolutely. A museum. We have to see. No, I look in the mirror. I see memorabilia. What should I tell you? You know, <laughs> another generation. When you see your, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? Do you see the 17 year old, the 24 year old, the 32 year old? Olive, I know. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> You see the person you are in this that's stage? It. That's right. That's what you see. What you see is what you get. I hear it. I hear it. Is there was so when you when you turned 32 and you decided to pivot into the into the English writing and into the writing of music, what was that? Was that like risque? Was that something that was really done then? Was it taking a risk? What was how was that welcomed? So I will tell you, and and I feel very fortunate that throughout this entire musical journey of my life. I never, um, music was never my, my vocation, was never my parnasa. I, I, I always had, I was in Chino for a number of years, and then I went to business. So I always had an, an alternative source of income. 
And I'm not that kind of a singer where I would do bar mitzvahs or weddings or that kind of thing. I'm more of a composer, more of a creator, behind the scenes kind of a guy. And and um, so so what I'm saying is is that is that I would have done it even if I didn't think it was going to go commercial. It wasn't really for commercial purposes. I wasn't looking to produce an album because I needed the money. But I thought that there was it was certainly time to uh to start writing songs that could resonate and connect to kids who didn't necessarily understand hebrew or didn't understand even our kids today who 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 sing songs in hebrew i question how well they really understand the hebrew words you know they may have a basic idea you know a little understanding of of what those words mean but i don't know how deep it is and i had you know grown up uh, uh listening to some yiddish music and i was familiar with yiddish folk music to some extent and I knew it was just a matter of time before America would would create its own Jewish folk music in its language. Mm. And look at today. Look at look at everything today. I mean, I was a little bit ahead of the time. I was a little bit ahead of the curve. But certainly today, everybody's writing songs in English. Beautiful, beautiful uh, ideas and themes and, and and concepts are being woven in the English language that have to do with Torah and Yiddishkeit. Mm. And it's, it's about time. It's really yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's a hundred percent true. I mean, now that you see the Jewish music that's being comp- you know composed today, written today, what are, what is your take on on the Jewish world now, and when it comes to music, what what's your yeah? By the way, it's happening. It's happening in Israel too, and even though in Israel, let's say the kids even 20, 30, 40 years ago could understand the psukim better because Hebrew was there, was there a uh, mamalush and was there was there uh, mother tongue mother tongue yeah. Today, the artists are writing their own lyrics in Ivrit. You have Yisharibo and all these fellows who are writing beautiful ideas, beautiful concepts, connection, the, the relationship between people and Hashem and relationship between people and, yeah. and mitzvahs. And the, so so it's, it's turning out into a musical expression that's going on in the rest of the world that people have been doing forever because they don't turn to liturgy like we did so many years ago. But I think it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. I mean, it's a wonderful thing that there's expression and that there's uh, original thought. I could tell you it's a lot harder to write a good lyric than it is to write a line of music. Oh, yeah. I mean, you write a line of music. Somebody's musical. He has an idea. He sits at the piano. He, you know, he plays around a little bit. He goes up. He goes down. He pauses longer on this note and shorter on that note and has this chord or that chord. Uh, to me, that's a lot easier than writing a clever or intelligent or meaningful or uplifting lyric. I mean, that's mm. hard, hard, hard to do. Yeah. And I think most people who do that will, will agree with me that, that the harder component is the lyric. Although you can have a beautiful lyric, and if the music you put it into isn't uplifting and isn't clever and isn't interesting, the, the words may die on the vine, and vice versa. Some beautiful music can take words that maybe shouldn't have been so exciting and make them sound more exciting, but you need it both. But I think the lyrics are harder to do than the, than the music. Mm. So, Abi, do you have a process, a certain way of when it comes to writing a song, how that process goes, that creative process? I think there really is no specific process. And anybody who tells you that you have to follow this rule or that rule is is, is blowing smoke because there's so many different ways to 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 do this uh you could you could have words in your mind and in in your head and then write the song you could take a song that you've written just a tune a melody and then later find words that fit very beautifully to those 
to those notes. Mm. Um, so, and I've done, you know, all of those uh, for, for different songs. Hamala, for example, is a song that... Uh, Hamala Hagoel. There you go. Yeah. Uh, very yeah. well-known song, and I wrote it to those words. So that was Hamala that I was singing to when I wrote the, the melody. Mm-hmm. And let's say, ah, those were words that Label Sharpen found and put to, put to that tune. Uh, so the tune came first and we had this melody sitting around and then he found beautiful words. It's not the traditional animam. It's not the, it's not the Bevia Samoshiach. It's the animam, yeah. uh, the fact that God was, is, and forever will be. So it's, it's different. Love, love, love your version. Love your yeah, version. Thank you. Thank you. The, when it comes so, to, so, it, uh, yeah. And with English and when, yeah. and when, that's when you're taking, let's say words of David Amelech or from the Siddur or from, Right. but when you're writing your own words as well you could take a tune put your words in uh, put your words to the tune you could you could have a tune floating in your head when you're writing the song so you get the idea of the cadence and that's and then later you mis- massage it and you manipulate the notes the way you the way you want to and i can tell you that up until the moment that you put that album on sale you can still change things you know so there have been songs and tunes i can tell you that it was at the very last minute that we picked this note over that note. And, wow. and, uh, and who knows if the song would be popular and who knows if I don't have songs that are not popular because I changed them at the last minute instead of leaving them the, the way they were. So it could go anyway. Do you find yourself being a, a perfectionist when it comes to your music or do you rather just like, boom, have it done, get it out there, move on to the next project? Very much the former. I am, I'm crazy perfectionist on my stuff. I, I, I sit, I sit and review it over and over and over again. Think about it. Uh, lyrics, you know, uh, before I, before I'll finalize a lyric, I, I sit on it and review it. And, you know, uh, that's the way I am. That's the way I am. It's uh, really the way I do anything. Uh, uh, I wrote, um, I wrote a book uh, in 2015. Yeah. What was it called? Uh, it's called the season of, I have it here. The season of Pepsi Myers. So I'm a big baseball fan. So I, I'm a big Yankee fan, a big baseball fan. And I thought of this idea. Remember, I was walking to Shul one day. And on the way to Shul, I said to myself, I've got to write a story about a, a ball player who um, comes to New York and he discovers Judaism. He's totally unaware. He's Jewish. He knows he's Jewish, but totally unaffiliated, unaware of, of Torah and mitzvahs. And he comes to New York and somehow he meets the uh, people and it, and it lights a spark. Anyway, so I wrote this story and wow. it, it's about 80% baseball. So if anybody, <laughs> anybody, a young adult, a teenager, uh, an adult who loves baseball, man, woman, I don't care if they enjoy the sport, they will love the book. It's got a great storyline. But it also, it? Oh, it's on Amazon, cool. just the, the season of Pepsi Myers, it's called. So Pepsi was a very, very gifted player. I even came up with the name. I don't know why, but I, it was Pepsi Myers. That's the kid's name, and it explains why, why his parents called him Pepsi. It's in the book. But anyway, and I find that, that, that so many basic ideas of Judaism are presented in a very, very, like I sneak it in into the story rather than, hey, you give a kid a book, and here, here are the, the 25 reasons why you should believe in God and, and mm. practice Judaism. I don't think that too many kids would read that, even if sure. they did it as a bar mitzvah present. Nobody wants to read philosophy, but you read a story about 
um, about somebody going through this journey and learning things on the on the go and choosing to want to do the right thing. Uh, it's amazingly powerful. Yeah. So I wanted, if, your listener, if your listeners want to pick it up, it's available on Amazon. It's a great gift to give to a, you know, a neighbor, a, a coworker or something like that who's, who might not know that much about, about what Torah is about. Oh, absolutely. And I want to make sure that, um, that before I jump on further into this particular, I have one question is to go back to that perfection question for a second. Has perfectionism ever slowed you down from doing something? I'm not in a rush. I'm not in a rush. You know, like I said, again, I, I'm fortunate that it's not my, it's not my source of income. So it's right. true. And I, and I feel bad sometimes to my friends, my good friends and very talented guys. And, you know, you know, many of them in the industry who have to come out with an album every year or every two years, just to have more material, which gets them more, more concerts and more, more gigs. And it's it's stressful. It's very very stressful, and it and I, thankfully I've never really had that that uh, that need to do that. And and I, I thank Hashem that that I've been able to make a living without without Jewish music. So I wait, and when I'm happy with it, yeah, I come out with it. Wow, copy that. Wow, that's that's amazing. And that's I give you a blessing that you should you know you should get a big nice inheritance somewhere or win the lottery, and then all of your work can be done. You, you won't have to release anything until that exact moment when you're happy. Oh, amen. Amen. Wow. What a different, what a different place of, um, exp- you know, abundance and expansiveness and calmness you could we create right. from when right. it's not tied in with one's own, like Parnassa, yeah, yeah, yeah. like you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the, the goal is, is to be able to do that, even if you're not in that case, to still be able to tap into that peace and calmness. That's honestly, when I'm full of anxiety or busyness, I can't create it. I can't, you know, it comes from that same channel. It's blocked. Um, so it's cool that you were able to, to come from that place. So you, you mentioned a lot about writing English songs and you talked about Pepsi Myers mm-hmm. and the goal is of course, is to bring out these incredible ideas around Torah, Hashem, faith yes. through, through story, which you do so beautifully. Where did you grow up? I mean, I grew up Chabad, you know, uh, you know, going out there, outreach is part of my blood. Is that the kind of household you were brought up in, or is that something you picked it up? It was more through yeshiva. I went to Chavetz Chaim Yeshiva, which also does very much like Chabad. Chabad sends out shluchim all over the world, sure. and are such advocates for 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 Torah and for Hashem. And 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 the guys will go anywhere. They'll go anywhere to to to, to find one yid who might be passing through, you know, Zimbabwe on a on a you know on a way, on the way to who knows what. You know, the, there's a Chabad house there, and I've benefited myself personally. I'm business travel, you know, to many places in the world where Chabad houses uh, were little shelters for me from wherever you uh, were traveling. Um, but no, my yeshiva as well, the emphasis was outreach. And I did spend a number of years in uh, in Chinuch uh, in Los Angeles. And we did a lot of outreach over there. We had a school, we had a high school where I'd say about 25% of the kids were Shomer Shabbos. 25% of the kids were totally unaffiliated. They didn't know a thing. And then the rest were somewhere in the middle, traditional um, from conservative families, but they wanted a Jewish education. So we had this amazing mix of kids and you had to reach all of them. So you had to reach them. And what do you reach them with? You reach them with Torah and Torah is, is so adaptable and so brilliant and so, so, so true and so necessary. Uh, and it works. It, it can work with everyone. It, yeah, it does work with everyone. 
Do you, when you, it sounds like you're in, you're in California outreach. Did your paths ever cross Rabbi Shlomo Kabrach? Yes, I, I, I met Shlomo a few, several times. I, 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 he would come to Toronto when I moved to Toronto in the, in the mid eighties. So he would come to Toronto. Um, he had family here. Um, and he would give a kumzitz and I always would take my guitar and go down and we would play with him and, and, and sing for hours. I mean, there were a lot of people there. I was yeah. many, but maybe there were two or three other guitars together with Shlomo. And my father knew Shlomo. My father uh, actually helped Shlomo get some land in Israel to, to start his Moshav. So my father would no have some connections in Israel with some people who had land, and he was able to get Shlomo uh, a piece of land to start. I, I forgot, Meor uh, Modian, it was called, I think. So my father was was friendly with Shlomo, and uh, and I met Shlomo here and there at the Hass concerts. We met. I sang with him on stage a few times. We would schmooze. He was yeah. he was more he was larger than life. Was so, he? Shlomo yeah, was larger than life. He was amazing. You ever thought about you? Never thought about doing a collaboration of sorts. Uh, a song. I actually did. I actually did do, did do an album with Shlomo. We did a, an album called uh, Shlomo Kalbach and the Children of Jewish Song. So Shlomo, uh, there's some beautiful Shlomo songs on that album. Baruch Chait produced it, and I conducted the choir. We had four or five young little boys, and they sing with Shlomo, and I was the I was about 20 at the time, 21 at the time. Oh, and I, wow. I conducted the, the kids from my neighborhood and taught them those songs and Great. sang them in the studio with them. So, yeah, so I, I knew Shlomo. We rubbed shoulders a few times, but, you know, we, we really, uh, you know, I was in, I was out on the West Coast. He was on the East Coast, you know, so. Yeah. Did, never... did you find, um, so it shows how much I know. I didn't actually know about that that album. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. So some A.B. Rottenberg fan out there who's like, man, you should have known that. Uh, uh, oh, I also, I also did my first, my the first time I ever went on stage. Yeah. Was with Shlomo Kalba. That's ah. a crazy. That's a crazy story. It's such. It's. It was such a traumatic experience for me <laughs> that, it, that it took maybe twenty years for me to go back on stage. What are you talking about? You got to so, share with us. Yeah. So what happened was, I had just. I just really had picked up guitar. Like I told you, I was. Yeah. I started late, so maybe I was. I was maybe 21 at the time, 2021, 2022. Maybe it was 71, 1971. Maybe I was under 20. I don't know. But I was I was known. People knew in the yeshiva and in, in Queens, they knew that I was a pretty good guitarist and I knew Shlomo's songs. And apparently Shlomo was giving a concert in Queens College. Or he was scheduled to give a concert in Queens College. And a day or two before the concert he broke his leg shlomo broke his leg he slipped he broke his leg so he couldn't he, he liked he always liked to stand when he when he sang he didn't sit he always stood but he needed his crutches to stand so he couldn't hold his guitar so they were searching for a guitarist somebody mentioned my name so i said sure i would love to you know play guitar for shlomo i said but what songs is he going to do so they said don't worry you'll come you'll come an hour before the show and you and shlomo will go over the playlist and the songs and the keys and everything like that anyway i come to queen's college with my guitar and, and an hour before the show no shlomo eight o'clock it's supposed to start no shlomo oh man the audience is stirring and then i find out that this is nothing new shlomo would never show up on time for his own concert so shlomo's concert was called for eight o'clock you didn't have to show up till nine because he didn't show up till nine he was busy whatever anyway i'm waiting shlomo comes 
Shlomo, well, what's up? He's on his crutches, hopping on, going straight on stage. Come, 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 you know, come on. He starts singing a song, you know, I strum a, uh, an A minor. He starts singing. It was tough on me that Wow. You know, I mean, I knew some of the songs I knew well and I could play and we, we sounded good. But there were a couple over there, you know, and this, give me more harmony, young man, give me more. Anyway, so I was I was uh, traumatized after that. <laughs> but uh, eventually Shia Mendelwitz, uh, you know, convinced me to go back on stage. And I went back on stage in 1980, 1986. Uh, so, yeah, so it was 15, 16 years later. I went on a, on a Hass concert. I went back on stage. But it's uh, been a long time in between. Wow, that's I can only imagine just being on stage. Yeah. I mean, you picture it so well, like <laughs> strumming and they have to go with it and all yeah, those yeah, yeah, it was it was a little tough, but most of the songs came out okay. But there were a few, and I, like I said, I'm a perfectionist, so I probably, yeah. I probably in my own mind, it was probably a lot worse in my own mind than it really was. But, uh, but uh, anyway, that's a Certainly. great story, great memory that's, to have. Yes. Mm. What do you have when it comes to your, your I'm, I'm not going to ask you right now to choose your babies or your favorites, but is there a song that, <clears throat> that connects with you maybe perhaps now in your life that you, you like to put on? And, and if so, what is, what is that? It's a tough question. You know, it's really a tough question. Uh, you know, I know that a few years ago, I, uh, unfortunately, I don't know what was five, six years or four or five years ago, there was this terrible tragedy with, three boys went missing in, in yeah. Cicero, and yeah, unfortunately the, you know the end was not good but while people were searching there was a, a big uh, get together at the hotel and people were singing Achenu and it was my song and 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 you know I know that that impacted me very strongly and and you know to hear your song being sung at the hotel by by thousands of people it's a very powerful thing and I thank Hashem that that he gave me this gift it's it's not you know, it's not anything that, you know, I do put in time and I do put in work and I know that I get a little bit of the credit, but very, very little, you know, it's, a, it's been a wonderful gift. I can also say that it's a tremendous blessing to go to different places and hear a song of yours being sung, you know, whether it's at a wedding or at a kumzitz or, or just passing by somebody's house and you hear your album being played. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful feeling. And I, again, thank Hashem for having had that in my lifetime. And, and I, I've been truly blessed. You're, you, yeah. You, and we, and we've all been blessed through your blessing, you know, cause you could have a talent and also not have the courage to go ahead and expand upon it and to share it. So, and that takes, you know, even though it seems like you had support and, crazy to go to a certain camp to meet certain people to right. help you get you know like that's all wild but then also to go ahead and nurture that and to go ahead and, and say that so. so i would tell say two things you know to people in your audience yes if you have a talent you're not only it's not only a good idea to to, to try to nurture it you have to try to nurture it it's 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 it, you have a halachic imperative kabedas hashem it says Honor Hashem with your wealth, and, and Chazal say it means with your talents, not just your money. Don't give, yes, if all you have is money, give tzedakah. If that's, if that's your best asset, give tzedakah. But if, you're, if you have an asset that is, that is not necessarily monetary, monetary, but an asset, a beautiful voice, a wonderful gift of speaking, you have a talent to dance, you have a talent to sing, use it for call Yisrael. And then you don't have to necessarily be successful with it. You don't have to make money with it. You don't have to become famous with it. But you know in your heart of hearts, you took your assets and you took your talents. You did the best you could with it. 
that's all you need to do. Wow. That is, that is amazing. And I guess, and more specifically, perhaps those who are tuning in are musicians or songwriters themselves, any specific advice for that niche, for that, that artistic um, expression? So I say, yes, uh, nurture it and, and nurture it in a way where you, where you can really become good because the better you are at it, the better you're going to be able to, to accomplish this goal. So if you're a, if you're a musician and you're talented and you can play by ear, that doesn't mean you shouldn't go out and study music because studying music and learning chords and notation and, and theory is going to make you a better musician and combine that with your talent. And then you'll be able to affect the world so much more. Just like somebody who's a beautiful, gifted artist doesn't mean you shouldn't study art. You know, don't just do it. Don't winging it is, is, is laziness. It really is. So, so I would, I would urge anyone with the talent to, who wants to seriously succeed, then go out and put in the time, put in the work. It's 90% perspiration and only 10% inspiration. There it is, right. The harder work. It's, well, it's, it's called The Secret on Journeys 5. Go listen to that song. Eighth day, sing it, right? Yeah. And right. it's about when you, when you plant with tears. Berina, so you're going to reap with joy. But if you don't put in the tears and the and the work and the effort, most of the time, it very rarely will someone succeed without that. Mm. What what advice would you give your younger self, your 20, 25 year old self? Your oh my gosh! Self? Oh my gosh! What I wouldn't do to be able to go back and uh, there, there are a whole bunch of songs that I'd redo and refix and do a nicer harmony or a better chord or even a better lyric, you know? So I do have my regrets in that area, but, uh, but I, I, I really, I really don't do that. I don't, I don't have too many regrets or Hashem besides the music, a wonderful wife, wonderful family. And those are the main things, uh, you know, the main things in my life. And, and hopefully everybody out there and all your listeners can have the same mazel and bracha find who they need to, you know, to live and, and and uh, fulfill their lives with mm. and uh and uh, no really I, I like i said i i just fix a few things here and there you know maybe uh you know stay away <laughs> from a couple of foods that i ate you know <laughs> keep a couple of pounds off but uh Baruch Hashem, I, I, I really don't have too many regrets and why and why journeys why journeys why the name journeys that's a very good question so so even on the first album, the first album tells the story of a Sefer Torah that, like I said, went from, sure. from Kiev, Kiev, ended up in New York. It tells the story of the of the of the boys in the the East Side bums who who didn't want to study Torah, and eventually the Rebbe played ball with them, and all of a sudden they looked at the Rebbe differently, and they looked at Torah differently as a result. Um, there's a, a song called "No Place Like Home" about somebody who traveled was searching for religion and ended up going to Israel and saw the Kotel and was invited. So I, I realized that so many of the songs are about transition and change and movement and life is a journey, ride the train. You know, you start off on a train journey at sea, journey life, at sea. you set yeah. sail and you end up I'm somewhere seeing a theme. else. I'm seeing a theme That's over here. There is a theme, you know, yeah. not every song is like that. You know, there's songs that songs that are, Joe DiMaggio's card again. It's about you know about the two baseball. boys, two of a baseball, but two boys who go off in different directions and yeah. and so I much think. of our life. Uh, listen, that's what it is. The the clock, the the journey starts the minute we're born, the second we're born, and the clock starts ticking on that journey. And 
um, come on and ride your, come on and ride the train, step on board, take your ticket. No two are the same. Mm. You'll soon be going down the track. There's no point in looking back. You're riding, riding, riding on the cha- train. And, and, and we don't know how, whether our, our ticket is for the next station or for the end of the line. We don't know how long we're going to be living, but we're on a journey. Aby, you're a philosopher. You, right? <laughs> no, but it's not, it's not, it's obvious, right? You're writing these songs. Obviously you're talking about life, meaning, purpose, you know, the existential questions we have, but you bring it out in these ways. And I think a lot of people who perhaps don't think this on a daily are sort of tricked, quote unquote, into it through your music. And they start like, hmm, that made me feel something different, you know? <clears throat> um, and so well, I'd be like, happy if that happened. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, and yeah. it does. I've had multiple conversations with, with different people who, um, Perhaps not necessarily would you call them like, do they think about life often? However, they think about life when they listen to your music. Thank you. That's nice. And, and that's really cool to like, for you to have developed that, you know, you could have wrote music about so many different things, but I'm curious to know where did that, that question, that curiosity, that philosophy come from in you to, to write? Cause you're in that, through this expression of music and, and composing. Right. So, 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 but again, I never, I was never the guy in camp, let's say in summer camp, who would get up on a table and jump up and down with, with the guitar. I, I cannot do, even if I try, I cannot do yeah. what Joey Newcomb does or what these people do. They're great entertainers. They bring a smile on, on, on people's lips and on kids' lips and the kids jump up and down. I could never do that. Camp Hask called me up to come to Camp Hask. So I said, you know what? I'll come in in the evening when the kids are all asleep and I'll sing to the counselors you know, who, who will we'll give them a little chizuk and talk. That, that's for me, right? Because that's who I am. I was an educator. I was a teacher. And I continue that in my music. But, but the, the people who go out there and entertain and, are, and make people smile and make people dance, and, you know, it's a wonderful thing that they're doing, too. So it's just a different. There's so many expressions of music. There's so many kinds of art. I, I have one niche. That's me. You know, so I'm that guy wow. who does that, you know. But, and but. it's what a breath of fresh air to hear that because what you're saying is like you're you're not getting caught up in the comparison of like the widespread of music. Like mm-hmm. and you're very and you also know yourself so well to realize this is what I'm good at. I accept that I'm good at this. I'm not the guy who jumps around on stage and brings that type of energy. Right. And, and you accept that and you follow that through and that's for somebody else. And you're okay with that, which yeah. I think within the artist world, I can speak for myself is that we could, I could easily, and what I'm working on is to do less comparison, know my strengths, know where I stand. And though it may look similar on the wide spectrum of things, it's really not. I have my voice, my lane. Mm-hmm. I can support the other people and go for it. Yeah. There's uh, so many lanes. There's yeah. so many lanes. Nobody can, nobody can be on all those lanes. And if they try to be, they're not going to succeed either because they're going to be right. too widespread. They'll be too diluted. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. totally. Did you, but the, growing up as a young artist, anything that I said, did that relate to you? Did you have any of that? Like, Ooh, I want to do that or this. Or... <laughs> I, I love your stuff, Mayor. I mean, it's just so creative. <laughs> you know, you out of the box. Thanks, thanks. Out of the box stuff, and it's just it's so wonderful. It's like, it's like, it's like, and you came right around to the right time. You know, I guess Hashem makes sure that happens. You know, everybody's there in the right time, and mm. I'm trying to hang on by my fingernails. You know, like I've been around for so long, but Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, yeah. there are not that many guys who do what I do. That's true. So, so I don't have that much competition. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely not. Are there, is there hope? I know we briefly talked about it earlier on, but is there some sort of hope of a, of a new album of journeys to come out in the near future? Not 18 years, maybe something sooner. Yeah, or? I, if Hashem will give me a Rikas Yomim and ideas and my kids come to me with good stuff again and, or other people, you know, over the years I've, 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 I've uh, taken a few songs that were submitted by people and, and yeah, uh, there's no reason why not. So I'm retired now from my regular job. I don't go in, you know, I'm not working in the office anymore. Uh-huh. I have time to learn. I have time to, uh, to, to, to sit around by the piano and work on a song. So again, Baruch Hashem, uh, it's been a great ride. Do you ever just play piano or pick up a guitar just for yourself? No one else around just to, to play a little? How do you wind down? I do, I do. Yeah. But, I, but I haven't done it now. I'm still... I'm still we worked for two years really, really hard on Journeys 5. So right now, I'm, I, I, what happens is, is when you work that hard on something, I usually can't, like three, four, five months, I can't even touch a piano. Mm. You know, I can't, I can't work, I can't think creatively now because I'm still coming down from, from that effort. Right. But soon it'll start again, you know, the itch will start again and start right. thinking a little bit in terms of work. And it is hard work. It's such hard work. Yeah. Nobody should think it's easy. They hear the words and they hear the songs that it's such hard work and it scares me sometimes. You know, oh, I'm going to sit down and start writing a song, but writing a song is so hard. It's so difficult. It's so much. Yeah. It takes so much, so, out takes of you. so much out of you, but you still, you got to jump in. You got to do it. Are you the way, are you the way that you sit down? Okay. I'm going to sit down for four hours in front of the white page, or do you sit down when inspiration hits? Is it more of a disciplined way of writing or is it more of a, so, so with the music, with music, with, with music and melodies, I will sit down at the piano and I'll say, I'm going to sit for an hour. I'm going to tinkle on this, but I'll bring my phone out today. It's so much easier. Remember the yeah. old days you bring your phone. You, I you don't know, place, but you, can but tell you me. play something nice and you right away can record it. And yeah. so that I will do, I'll sit at, I'll, I'll say for the next hour, I'm going to sit at the piano and, you know, and play around a little bit, but, but with, with ideas and thoughts and themes and lyrics, unless I have an idea in my head, I won't write. So usually it's a brainstorm, it's a thought, and then then uh, then I'll sit and write. And sometimes I could write for five six hours straight, just wow. trying to trying to massage a song, and 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 then then I might you know the next day just rip the whole thing up, and throw it in the garbage because you know it's it's just not resonating the next day. So that's why I'm saying it's very hard and and, and a bit scary. But again, nobody should be scared off because. If you put in the tears, you'll you'll dance with joy at the end. Wow, wonderful. Avi, thank you so much. Is there any last little tips or advice or insights you want to share with the uh, with the listeners? No, just uh, I, I give you a bracha mayor to keep on inspiring people all over the world with with you know with goodness and 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 and, and uh, doing the right thing and and obviously, you know, to all our Jewish brethren that they should, you know, come and and study as much Torah as they can and and learn about their connection to 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 God above and and become, you know, become better people by helping others and and doing what they can do to help the world and uh continue to be blessed. Amen. Amen. Okay. You too, AB. Thank you so right, much, very much. Like a bench. All the best. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast episode with A.B. Rottenberg. Thank you, A.B., for coming on and sharing all that you have with me and with all of us. And I want to thank you once again, dear listener, for joining me on this epic journey. This journey at sea, journey on life. Well, I hope you gained something from this podcast episode. 
And I do hope that you tune in once again to my next episode on The Great Day Podcast. Until then, stay positive, be happy. I'm Mayor Kay, and have a great day. 